Hi, and welcome to the latest podcast from The Lancet Neurology. My name's Priya, and today we're discussing a review on the use of biomarkers in predicting motor recovery after stroke. We're joined by the author, Dr. Cathy Stenier. Welcome. Hi, Priya. Thanks for having me. So first, Dr. Stenier, in your study, you reviewed biomarkers that might predict motor recovery after stroke. Could you briefly summarise these biomarkers and tell us what the prognostic challenges are? Sure. Well, the review covers three main types of predictors, and the first is clinical assessment of motor impairment. In general, patients with milder initial impairment have better motor recovery and outcomes, but this isn't always the case for patients with initially moderate or severe motor impairment. Some of these patients will experience quite a good recovery, while others won't, and unfortunately, clinical assessment alone can't tell these patients apart, and this is where neurophysiological and neuroimaging biomarkers come in. So the neurophysiological biomarkers included in the review are EEG and transcranial magnetic stimulation, or TMS. Now, EEG will be familiar to most readers, and TMS is a safe, painless, and non-invasive technique for testing the primary motor cortex and corticospinal tract function. Now, several studies have shown that when TMS of the primary motor cortex can produce a response in muscles of the paretic upper limb, then the patient will have a good recovery, even when their initial impairment is quite severe. So this test can identify patients with severe impairment, but a good prognosis. However, some patients who don't have a response to TMS still do make a modest recovery, while others make essentially no recovery. And neuroimaging biomarkers obtained with MRI might be able to tell these patients apart. These sorts of biomarkers measure the effects of stroke on the descending white matter pathways in the affected hemisphere. But at this stage, there's no consensus on the optimal MRI biomarker predicting motor recovery or outcomes after stroke. So to get to your second question, the, the biggest prognostic challenge is probably making accurate predictions for individual patients because most studies have used a range of clinical and demographic measures in multivariable linear regression models and these explain variance in recovery for a group of patients. Now, unfortunately, the resulting regression equations can be quite complex and not particularly user-friendly for the busy clinician. And these equations can make highly accurate predictions, but they're usually predicting coarsely dichotomized outcomes that might not be clinically useful information. So the review describes a simple algorithm called PrEP, which quenchally combines clinical assessment and biomarkers to make an accurate and clinically useful prediction for individual patients. So PrEP predicts one of four functional outcomes for the upper limb, and a recent study showed that using this algorithm in clinical practice helps therapists to tailor their treatment and length of stay reduced by around a week. So recent research is quite promising then for the upper limb, but making accurate predictions for the lower limb and, and walking does remain a challenge. And why is measuring proportional recovery important? Well, it could be a way for us to determine whether a given intervention is interacting with the fundamental neurobiology of motor recovery after stroke in humans. So one of the problems with studying recovery after stroke is that patients start in different places, they recover by different amounts, and they have different motor outcomes. And this just creates a lot of noise in the data, making it difficult to detect intervention effects. And proportional recovery might provide a more sensitive measure. So proportional recovery from upper limb motor impairment was first reported almost 10 years ago now, but it's been replicated in several studies published just in the last two years. Basically what it means is patients recover around 70% of what they've lost within six months of stroke. And this has now been shown in over 500 patients in different rehab settings around the world. However, the 70% rule is only true for patients who have responses to TMS, indicating that their corticospinal tract still works. 
Patients without responses to TMS don't follow the rule and have a poor recovery. And this confirms the importance of the primary motor cortex and the corticospinal tract for upper limb recovery and function after stroke. What's really intriguing is that these recent studies have also shown that recovery from upper limb motor impairment is not related to upper limb therapy dose measured in minutes. So perhaps the role of therapy at the moment is to help the patient learn to adapt to and compensate for their residual impairment. And what does this tell us about the potential underlying mechanisms? Well, these findings might mean that recovery from motor impairment reflects a fundamental neurobiological process. And this idea is supported by other recent work showing that recovery from lower limb motor impairment is also proportional and around 70%, as is recovery from impaired communication and visuospatial attention. So proportional recovery across domains tells us that it probably reflects a ubiquitous process. However, the mechanisms are currently unknown. Why is the proportion around 70% and not some other number like 60% or 85%? This will be an important area of future work because if we can identify and enhance the underlying process, we might be able to increase the proportion above 70%. This would mean our patients have less residual impairment, which should allow better function, participation and quality of life. So future studies testing interventions to enhance the underlying mechanisms of recovery will need to measure proportional recovery to see if the intervention is effective. And in the case of upper limb interventions, they'll need to select patients with responses to TMS. And finally, why might it be difficult to integrate biomarkers into large randomised clinical trials and clinical practice? Well, tools such as TMS are not yet part of routine stroke care. And while MRI is in widespread clinical use, there's no consensus yet regarding the optimal MRI biomarkers for predicting motor recovery and outcome. However, the review did find that of registered motor rehabilitation trials that are currently recruiting patients, 45% include TMS and 22% include MRI in their protocol. So these techniques are not uncommon in stroke rehabilitation trial design. However, only a handful of trials are using these techniques for patient selection. Selecting patients using biomarkers could help to reduce noise and increase statistical power. I think this is particularly important for trials conducted during the initial weeks after stroke when detecting intervention effects can be difficult against the background of recovery occurring at this time. If biomarkers are used to select patients in a clinical trial and the intervention is found to be effective, then implementing the intervention in clinical practice will require use of the same biomarkers to select patients for treatment. So I think the use of biomarkers, patient selection and stratification is likely to increase trial sensitivity and subsequently drive the use of biomarkers in clinical practice. Thank you, Dr. Stenier, and thank you, listeners. See you again next time.